welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's May 30th, 2019, and this is episode 22. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just like my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. New in theaters this week, we've got three films. First up is a horror film called Ma. It's from Universal Pictures. And uh, the summary says, everybody's welcome at Ma's, but good luck getting home safe. Oscar winner Octavia Spencer stars as Sue Ann, a loner who keeps to herself in her quiet Ohio town, when one day she's asked by Maggie, who's a new teenager in the town, to buy some booze for her and her friends. And Sue Ann sees the chance to make some unsuspecting, if younger, friends of her own. She offers the kids the chance to avoid drinking and driving by hanging out in the basement of her home. But there are some house rules. One of the kids has to stay sober, don't curse, never go upstairs, and call her Ma. But Ma's hospitality starts to go south and starts to turn into obsession. And what began as a teenage dream turns into a terrorizing nightmare. And Ma's place goes from the best place in town to the worst place on earth. Um, And if you've seen the trailers, it looks to be true. (laughs) Um, Ma also stars Diana Silvers, Juliette Lewis, and Luke Evans. Uh, It is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America for violent, disturbing material, language throughout, sexual content, and for teen drug and alcohol use. And good luck to those of you who are going to see Ma this weekend. Um, All right. Also opening uh, on Friday is Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which is a monster action film from Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures. Now, Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures have been developing what they're calling a cinematic monsterverse. I'm not making this up. The first film in this cinematic monsterverse was uh, a reboot of Godzilla, which came out in 2014. Uh, some of you might might uh, remember that. It was directed by Gareth Edwards. And then they also did a prequel film called Kong Skull Island, which came out in 2017. And again, you wouldn't necessarily think that those two films are related, but that's really been the big thing of this monster versus bringing together Godzilla and King Kong. So... Uh, however, though, in Godzilla King of the Monsters, the film that opens up this weekend, this one uh, has more of the traditional Japanese Godzilla monsters in it. So it pits Godzilla against some of the most popular monsters in, you know, what they're saying in pop culture history, um, meaning Mothra, Rodan, and then Godzilla's ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. Um And then when these ancient super species thought to be mere myths rise again, they all vie for supremacy, leaving humanity's very existence hanging in the balance. So uh, this is all leading up to another film in this Godzilla monster verse, which is going to be Godzilla versus Kong, as in King Kong, uh, you know, the giant ape. Um, That's scheduled to be released in March 2020. Uh, But not to get ahead of myself, Godzilla King of the Monsters... Um, you know, sadly, I've been hearing bad things about it, and it's not been getting great reviews. Um, 
heard from friends too that just didn't didn't like it very much. Uh, who went to an advanced screening. So anyway, uh, it's kind of a bummer because I, you know I love I love Godzilla movies. In, in, in you know in theory, frankly, I love I love the more classic Japanese ones where the guys are in the are in the rubber suits, um, smashing the you know the miniatures, <laughs> the miniature cities that they built on a soundstage. But uh, this is all you know very heavy CGI, and and um, we'll just you know we'll have to we'll we'll have to see and I'll and I'll let you know if I end up seeing it. So. Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters is rated PG-13 by the Motion Picture Association of America for sequences of monster action, violence and destruction, and for some language. Finally this weekend is the anticipated movie Rocket Man, which is a biopic from Paramount Pictures. Uh, Rocket Man tells the story of Elton John's breakthrough years. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's described as an epic musical fantasy it follows the fantastical journey of transformation from shy piano prodigy Reginald Dwight, who you know as Elton John's actual name, into international superstar Elton John. Uh, this inspirational story, set to Elton John's most beloved songs, tells the universally, universally relatable story of how a small-town boy became one of the most iconic figures in pop culture. Uh, as you've probably seen in, in the trailers or in the advertisements, the... The film stars Taron Egerton um, as Elton John, and Taron uh, does all of his own singing in this film. So that rather than using Elton John's original tracks, uh, Taron recorded his own tracks. Uh, so we'll see how how that goes. I, uh, I, you know, again, I've just seen the trailers, and it was not necessarily off-putting, but just think, wow, you know, clearly that's not Elton John. And so we'll, we'll just see how what we think of Taron Egerton of <laughs> his musical chops um, uh, in the film. Then it also stars Jamie Bell as Elton's longtime lyricist and writing partner, Bernie Toppin. I understand that this film talks about kind of the, the, the uh, um, where, when they met and, you know, they've had a long time collaboration. They've worked on and off together for like over 50, 50 years now. Um, Richard Madden as Elton's first manager, John Reed. And then Bryce Dallas Howard plays Elton's mother, um, Sheila Fairbrother. So uh, Rocket Man is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America for language throughout, some drug use, and sexual content. But that clearly is a, is is, is uh, probably the big, uh, well, it's going to be Rocket Man versus Godzilla probably battling it out <laughs> this weekend, and we'll see. Um We'll see how it goes. So, uh, again, three new films to look out for. Ma, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Rocket Man. All right, for reviews this week, I'd like to talk about the new uh, live-action remake of Disney's Aladdin. Now, I've been out of town uh, for a couple of weeks. I have actually been uh, on a cruise with Disney Cruise Line. And Disney Cruise Line is, of course, operated by the Walt Disney Company. And they have a, they've got a dedicated movie theater on the ship. And it plays, movie, it plays movies five times a day. And uh, they play first run 
movies that are distributed, you know, made and distributed by Disney. So that includes uh, all Disney branded content, Pixar, Marvel, and Lucasfilm. So uh, one of the films, so they had a lot of films that were heavy in, in rotation <laughs> during the trip were, of course, uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, but they were also playing Captain Marvel, uh, Dumbo, you know the the the, uh, the live action and CGI remake of Dumbo that came out a few weeks ago, and uh, Ralph breaks the internet, which came out late last year, and then they played Aladdin on uh, opening night. Actually, they they played it on 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 Thursday night, just like you'd get regularly in in, in the. Uh, you know, in the United States, they played it. Uh, you know, it was it was it was a late show that Thursday night, uh, but still, it was really fun to be able to go on the ship and see uh, see a uh, you know an early an early screening of, of Aladdin kind of on opening weekend or really on 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 opening day. So uh, that being said, though. You know, I'm not really a fan of these live action remakes. Don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, you know, I, I'd wish th that Disney would focus their tremendous creative talents on something other than just remaking remaking their animated catalog. But um, Aladdin, the the original uh, Disney interpretation of Aladdin came out in 1992. It uh, it was really one of my. It's 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 and it still is. It's just one of my all time favorite uh, Disney animated motion pictures. It's just so much fun. Uh, directed by the great uh, John Musker and Ron Clements, it's got such a witty script. Uh, wonderful music by by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, as well as Tim Rice, who who joined the project after. Um, the sad passing of Howard Ashman, but uh, you know it's it's just a movie that's got great action, uh, great music, great comedy. It's got a nice romance. I just think it's just really kind of a perfect film for me. Just that just kind of fits all of my, uh, you know, all of my tastes and all of my favorite genres kind of rolled rolled into one. Plus, just you know, the knockout Disney animation. So. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I I've I've been anticipating, in a way, seeing this 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 uh, this remake, this next remake uh, of Aladdin, but I've also been kind of worried about about it too. But anyway, uh, I've got a full review on my blog. If you want to, if you want to uh, read it, I'll uh, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to it. Um, in the podcast notes, but you know, I mean, I'm happy to say that it, it, that uh, you know, I didn't hate it. Uh, thankfully, they keep the storyline and music um, mostly true to the original. And again, not that it has to stay absolutely true to the original, but when it really deviates in a weird way, like Dumbo did, um, you just kind of wonder, like, what you know, what in the world is this? This was definitely um, a lad. Now, you know, the film was directed by. Uh, British director Guy Ritchie, and Guy Ritchie has got this, you know, very distinctive visual style, which he employed some in this film. This 
film, though, actually just in a lot of ways felt kind of like a classic Hollywood movie, which I mean as a compliment, you know. Um, uh, although I think much of it was filmed abroad and some of it was filled, filmed in uh, Wadi Rum in Jordan. And, uh, you know, they built some really cool sets and then, of course, used a lot of, of uh, CGI in it. But, uh, again, thankfully, you know, it, it, it's, it's Aladdin. So, Aladdin and Jasmine are played by two relatively new newcomers. Uh, Aladdin, I'm, I'm probably not saying his name right, but it's Mina Masood. And then uh, Jasmine's played by an actress named Naomi Scott. And they are really an appealing couple. And I think that was really one of the strong points of this film, is that you know, they're both good looking, just, you know, kind of classic, uh, you know, actor and actress. And that's, that was really fun to watch. They had some really nice chemistry between the two of them. And I attribute that to just to, you know, just to their own good looks. But also, I think Guy Ritchie got a nice performance out of both of them. Uh, where things maybe start to get a little... Uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, weird, is when uh, the genie shows up. As we all know, the genie in this in this uh, remake is played by Will Smith. Now, uh, Will Smith is is a good actor. We know he's got, you know, and he, he he's a rapper. In fact, that was where he really started. Um, his career was was as a rapper, um, and as you know, and uh, he. He's a decent enough singer, but you know, I didn't think that I didn't think that his his vocals were great. You know, because he's got some big songs to carry. He's got to do that "Friend Like Me" number, which is you know pretty iconic to the film, as well as that Prince Ali number, which are great. I think ultimately, uh, as I mentioned this in my review, that Will Smith has got to step into some really big shoes and really impossible to fill shoes. By taking on this role that Robin Williams just did so incredibly well and that everybody really loves. Um, thankfully, Will Smith is just himself. And I think that was a good move on the production team part. And a good move, on, of course, uh, with Guy Ritchie. Uh, not trying to make Will Smith be Robin Williams or anybody else other than himself. However, though... Uh, often, when Will Smith is the you know in, in, in his genie mode which of course is the majority of the film but he uh he's blue and and uh and also they stay true to the design in this film as you may recall in in the animated version genie from the waist down is mostly kind of like this funky stream that's you know ultimately again attached to the lamp and so he's, he doesn't have legs but it allows him to float around and it looks cool so they've done that same sort of design with Will Smith where they've put this, you know, blue torso on him. And I don't know how much of that is, is real and how much the, the, you know, CGI enhanced the way that they made it look. Uh, and then, and then his lower torso is kind of this blue hurricane looking stuff, this CGI, this CGI whirlwind, blue whirlwind. And then of course he shape shifts and turns into different people and different things. And, and then multiplies just, you know, to, to add to the joke or to, you know, whatever, whatever gag is going on. And, but 
I just didn't really look great to me. Uh, again, with with uh, with the version, the 1992 animated version, of course, you, we know that Robin Williams did all this ad-lib and then they just let him go wild. And then the animation adapted to that. Uh, here, maybe Will Smith did some of that, but I think that he was more adhering to some kind of a script, possibly. I mean, again, I don't know. But uh, because they're adhering to this, you know, with this live action stuff and this photorealistic style that they're using with their uh, computer imagery, uh, I don't know. It just, it just, it, it didn't really work for me. So I just didn't think it looked good and it, and it just didn't, there, it kind of, because it's trying to be so realistic, it, it pulls out some of the fantasy elements, which you get you know, with the animation. So again, one person's opinion. Uh, so I'm not really harping on, on, on Will Smith because ultimately, you know, I think he tries to make it his own and, and it's fun. Uh, some people joke that this, <laughs> I saw some funny stuff online that they were joking that, that, that actually this, this remake of Aladdin should be, should be entitled Hitch 2. Uh, I don't know if you remember that film Hitch, that, that romantic comedy that, that Will Smith made. Um, where he's a matchmaker and, and, uh, uh, this, yeah, cause he really is kind of doing the same thing with Aladdin as he's trying to get Aladdin and Jasmine together. But, um, and then there's this dance scene near the end, which is very similar to, uh, what happens during, you know, the final part of Hitch. But anyway, um, so uh, the Will Smith genie stuff. I think I really think that the CGI, much of it is the, is the CGI to blame on it. But again, that's just me. Uh, another interesting thing about it is that, as you recall, in the animated version, Aladdin has got um, Abu, the monkey sidekick. Jasmine has Raja, which is a big tiger. So that's that's kind of her sidekick. And then, um, uh, of course, Jafar, the villain, has got Iago who in the animated film is voiced uh, by Gilbert Gottfried, uh, you know, that very coarse comedian. And, but he provides terrific comic relief. You know, Iago is just absolutely hilarious. So uh, basically, Abu and Raja are, are, you know, they're CGI, but they're, you know, they're decent enough and they, they, they uh, add to the, they do what they, they do what they're supposed to do. Iago, though, they kept him really as like a parrot. I mean, truly just as a parrot and uh, took away really any of his personality other than that he's just evil like Jafar and kind of helps helps Jafar. He reminded, Iago in this version kind of reminded me of of that raven, Maleficent's raven uh, in Sleeping Beauty in like the, you know, the classic Sleeping Beauty animated film. That's uh, like another set of eyes for her. He can fly out, and and that's what you know. That's what Iago does in 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 this film. But uh, I have to tell you though, I think not that I'd want some sassy uh, comedian playing Iago in this film. But that was something that 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 was I think kind of missed. I didn't really I didn't really like what they did with um, with Iago. Uh, another, another ch change, which was, again, 
not necessarily a huge change, but I think they just clarified more about just how uh, smart and capable Princess Jasmine is. I think she's I think she's perfectly portrayed in the 1992 version, and this just this just clarifies more that she really is qualified to be really to be Sultan, you know, and um, and uh, she's she's just a smart, very smart, capable. Uh, person the uh the sultan in this film too is even though he's under you know the he can fall under the spell of jafar jafar still can hypnotize people with his with his uh snake staff uh he, uh he's not necessarily the bumbling idiot that um <laughs> he is in the in the animated film i mean don't get me wrong i love him in the animated film but you know uh, it, you know, it, it is it is what it is. So, um, the other thing that that's that's been added to this film is that uh, Alan Menken worked with um, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, uh, who are kind of uh, composers in demand. Let's just let's just put it that way. This pair, Pasek and Paul, they. Uh, they wrote the music for the film *The Greatest Showman*, and then uh, also they are composers of the um, hit Broadway musical *Dear Evan Hansen*. So these guys, I mean, they are they are good. They are they, they're really talented. So how cool that they got to work with Alan Menken because some of these interviews that I've seen online um, on you know, like, the, like the Aladdin Facebook page and other things uh, um, that Disney's been putting out is that. Because I don't think I don't know their exact ages, but I think Pascal and Paul are both in their thirties, and you know, one of them was saying that the Aladdin CD was the very first album that he you know he he had, and of course they loved the film. So I think it's was, it was kind of like I don't think I don't feel like necessarily Alan Menken was passing the baton to them, but how cool to get to work with somebody who who has been kind of your hero, you know, kind of one of your artistic heroes. So uh, they collaborated with with Mankin on some additional lyrics to some of the existing songs, and uh, for example, that Arabian Nights number that opens the uh, the original Aladdin. It also opens up this film, and they they added some some words to it. They also wrote a new song uh, called "Speechless." It's for Princess Jasmine, and. Uh, again, they wrote the lyrics for it when and Alan Menken wrote the music, and it's really it's a terrific song and uh, a nice addition to the film. And uh, again, how cool that they got to collaborate with them, and we'll see what they do in the future uh, um, for Disney. So uh, again, Guy Ritchie adds adds some of his usual stylistic. Uh, flair and approach to it, but it, it was really remarkably understated. You 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 won't watch this movie with the exception of a couple of scenes that really slow slow down and do you know kind of his classic slow motion, but then super fast motion thing or kind of a super close up or some kind of uh, uh, gnarly camera move. But it was really it was it was really understated. Uh, understated. Uh, the production values are really high. Again, like with all these live-action films, I mean, darn it, Disney puts a lot of money into these, and 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 it it looked great. 
Um, I think ultimately my favorite thing about the movie was just hearing Alan Menken's score again on a you know in a theater with a good with a you know with a good sound system. Uh, they've done some subtle remixes on some of these uh, musical numbers as well, and those didn't that that didn't bother me. In fact, I was kind of glad they did just to just to make it a, a little different. Um, again, respectful to the original, but but uh, but a, a little different. And then again, Alan Menken was involved, so uh, I was I was cool with that. Um, probably though, I just you know again we need this movie like I need a hole in the head. Uh, it's it's an entertaining film, and I hope people are going to enjoy it. Uh, but still, it's not a film we need. I just think go watch the original, and I and uh, you know, I'm I'm no expert in branding. I know that I guess this is one way that Disney I think is feeling like they need how they need to keep their brand fresh is to remake some of their classic films, rather than just re-release them. Uh, but I just think if, uh, you know, if you don't plan to see this one in the theater, uh, the 1992 animated version that you probably already have a copy of in your, in your um, home movie library um, is really the, is really the only version that you need. So anyway, that's my, uh, uh, those are some thoughts on Disney's remake of Aladdin. For Classic Cinema Corner, I want to talk about the film Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, while we're on the subject both of uh, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, uh, and then also uh, on this cruise ship, uh, again, there as I mentioned, they've got this. They had this dedicated theater, and they're showing films all day, uh, like five times a day. And so they augmented, you know, the, all the Disney fare with some additional movies that aren't weren't Disney films. But that I mean, there was interesting choices. They had uh, E.T., they had the Goonies, and then they also were playing uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which is you know from 1986. And it's it's that Frank it's the Frank Oz directed musical adaptation. Um, it's got you know this film has a, has a bit of an interesting history. It's based off of a, a Roger Corman horror comedy that came out in 1960. And I don't know if you've ever seen if you've ever seen the original. It's uh, it's really a weird movie. Uh, it's about a man eating plant and and. Uh, this this uh, down and out florist shop run the, the with this with this poor orphan ki- kid as 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 one of the employees. It's Seymour. Seymour uh, discovers this plan after a total eclipse of the sun, and then it turns out that what this plan is very unusual, and it brings a lot of interest to this florist shop that he works in. But in order to keep it growing, it turns out that the plant only likes his blood and uh so there's only so much of his blood he can give this plant without um you know without uh dying himself uh and 
and so with a, a strange course of events, I mean, in this film, it goes, it goes very dark. It turns out that, you know, ultimately it's a man eating plant and, um, Seymour's got to somehow get, you know, kill people and get them in the, you know, and feed them to the plant. So Seymour, uh, I mean, again, it's, it, it, it's a dark, weird comedy, uh, horror comedy from, from the sixties. And then, uh, but it also turned out to be the big breakthrough for Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. They created an off-Broadway musical of, of it uh, in 1982, and it was a smash hit. And I don't know if any of you have heard the soundtrack or seen a production, a stage production of it, but the music is just absolutely terrific. It's just, they made it into something really fun and special and dark so um spoiler alert uh the plants win there's actually there's there's multiple plants it turns out and they they successfully take over the earth by you know eating all the people <laughs> so uh dark um but uh that's you know that's just how how it works so a film version then was made in 1986 as i mentioned frank oz was the director and for all intents and purposes, they were they were going with the dark ending. They they created uh, you know they filmed it. They they filmed this ending where where uh, the, all these pan, these plants are destroying are destroying the city and and terrorizing humans everywhere. And uh, it it uh, that was that was that was the plan. Uh, now I found an interesting article. I had heard this story and I found an interesting article about this. Um, from from uh, the uh, film at Lincoln Center, the former formerly known as the Film Society uh, uh, at Lincoln Center, and I'll put a link to this full article in the podcast notes so you can read it if if you'd like. But it gives a little bit of history about what happened. So um, this this uh, intended ending for the film all came crashing down when Little Shop of Horrors was put in front of a test audience, it initially tested in uh, San Jose, California. Now, according to this article, what it's saying that the rules of test screenings go something like this, or at least they did in 1986. Um, audience members watch the movie, then audience members fill out a reaction sheet. Uh, the studio executives read the, the reaction sheet, and then the studio executives exert control over the filmmakers. So the key question on the sheet was, would you recommend this film to someone? And if fewer than 55% of the answers are yes, something needs to be changed. Um, for this little shop of horror screening in San Jose, the number was 13% of people would, would uh, recommend this film to someone. And the same thing happened at another test screening uh, that happened in Los Angeles. And um, something had to give, and the reactions told everyone involved that it was the ending. Because really, nobody wanted to watch Audrey, excuse me, Seymour, and then his girlfriend, Audrey, uh, in the film. Uh, they both, you know, they die because the, <laughs> the plants kill everybody. They wanted things to be pretty and happy. Um, so based on this feedback, again, I guess nobody had seen the original film or because it's a musical, you know, just 
the 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 uh, regular film going folks that were in this test screening or these test screenings thought that it should have a happy ending. So um, Frank Oz changed it. Uh, for three weeks, he reshot the film and, and to make the movie that is known and you know basically loved. I think a lot of people really like the like liked Little Shop of Horrors in from nineteen eighty six. And, um, and, and, uh, that original darker ending, uh, just kind of, uh, vanished. So it, uh, there was a special edition DVD that came out soon after that had some, um, kind of a black and white print footage added to some of the special features, but it got recalled. So nobody was really sure where the footage had gone, and no one really knew what the original ending looked like, you know, other than Frank Oz and some of the some of the production team. So um, thankfully, though, in 2012, uh, a team from from uh, Warner Brothers Home Video uh, restored they you know they they were they were able to recover the footage, and they restored it. To what is being told, uh, touted as as the director's cut. So there I was on the cruise ship. So <laughs> a long intro. There I was on the cruise ship, and I was watching. And I was assuming that this was just because they didn't say all. They just said it was a little shop of horrors. There was no indication. Uh, but it turns out it was the director's cut. I had seen it on blue. Actually, I, I believe I own the Blu-ray of it because this this is a movie I really like. But um, they, they showed the director's cut, and it was so awesome to see it on, on, uh, on the big screen, of the cruise ship. And I don't know, how, uh, I don't know how anybody reacted in the in the theater to it. Uh, I think some people were maybe a little shell shocked because either they hadn't seen it before, or they they they, they weren't aware, or, or everybody was just in vacation mode and didn't really care. But uh, still, <laughs> I thought I thought that was. Uh, so so cool. So what I I would hope that you might do if you haven't seen it, see if you can snag a copy of Little Shop of Horrors, uh, the director's cut, and uh, watch the darker ending. And if you need to watch, you know, watch the original 1960 film. Uh, one funny thing about the 1960 film is that Jack Nicholson makes a cameo in it. He plays. Um, you know how in the film there's the sadistic dentist? Jack Nicholson plays the patient that, you know, that really enjoys the pain. And uh, the character that Bill Murray plays in in uh, the, this 1986 version is based, you know, loosely based on the character that Jack Nicholson plays from that, from that 1960 version. But, you know, Rick Moranis, uh, who plays Seymour in the film, is great. Ellen Green... Who played the role of Audrey on Broadway's great Vincent Gardenia's in it, and then Steve Martin plays the sadistic dentist, and he's he's just absolutely fantastic. So, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the director's cut. It's um it's available on Amazon. I'll put a link to it in the podcast notes. But that's uh that's the film that I hope you uh, will consider checking out. Thank you so much for listening to the Movies Past and Present podcast. 
Again, links and more information about all the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. As always, I hope you'll enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or present. Until next time, thanks again. 